So uh, would it, would it, would it, if, if you pulled back the camera a little bit, would it make you feel better? I don't think, I mean, I don't think, you know, Argento's job is to make Marion feel better, you know? So, you know, I'm like, you know, you do you. Argento. My job is to make Marion Kerr feel better. Ding! Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gore hounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, in which we meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror movie section of our local video store in our quest to learn how to survive and to ensure we end up as, as the, the final, final girl. girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking each movie down one by one, speaking out over all the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating, illuminating the path to survival. Hey everyone! Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I am Julia. I'm Marion. This is episode 39. Uh, we are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn, recording here at The Circus. And we are going to be talking this week about Dario Argento's 1977 film, Suspiria. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. This movie is something. It is something. Uh, the tagline for, uh, the title for this episode, mm-hmm. uh, Do You Know Anything About Witches? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. Uh, and then the tagline for this film is, the only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of this film are the first 92. Which is accurate. Yeah. And also, I like how specific that is. Yeah. Like, this is, it's not about, like, scary adjectives. It's really, it's breaking down the numbers. Like, yeah. that's how. But then there's problems because there's different cuts. And then you're like, yeah. oh, like, it's so specific that you kind of, okay. Yeah. Anyway. You were saying uh, that you had seen, like, some crazy version of this film, right? With, like, a totally different score or Yes. Something? Okay. So, let, let's talk about this score. So, <laughs> uh, Dario Argento uh, had a, a partnership with a lot of his films with a band called Goblin that did the soundtrack for his films. Goblin's amazing. So, uh, Dario Argento had a partnership with a band called Goblin that mm-hmm. does a lot of his soundtracks. And they're really incredible, like heavy synth sound yeah um so there's like uh he did a lot of them tenebrae the town track for tenebrae's bitchin (laughs) the opening theme song for tenebrae is amazing Mm -hmm. deep red's great um so suspiria has a very powerful soundtrack yeah uh which is very unsettling and very you know high pitch but also whispering but also loud drums um, and I know that like a lot of horror fans are like super into this soundtrack, yeah. like the vinyl and the whole bit. And uh, I have to admit, this soundtrack drives me bananas. Bananas, like you're not into it. I am not into this soundtrack. <gasps> really? I know that's I know that's sacrilegious from a horror fan. Oh, I, it is. I understand. It is. But like I saw it at the Egyptian on 35 millimeter, uh-huh. and that soundtrack was cranked up, and it made me want to like stick pencils in my ears. It hurts my ears. Literally hurts my ears, but not like hurt so good. No, like oh. like just like make it stop, please make it stop. And like then nails I was on a chalkboard. Yes, kinda. and okay. then I watched it again at at home, oh. and again it was the exact same thing, and it hurt my ears. And so like I know that this soundtrack is supposed to make you uncomfortable and like the feeling it portrays and everything, but yeah. this is like not a great soundtrack for me. Interesting. So okay. I tried once. There's a DJ called DJ Fake Blood from London, sure, who did uh, a couple of screenings of Suspiria where he DJed a set. Uh-huh. to it so it's a different soundtrack so the movie's exactly the same uh-huh. but they just take out the goblin score and put in his score but i mean is, it's not reminiscent of the goblin score at all no, like he's it's not, not it's oh, totally different okay um and it's kind of it's kind of techno-y but not overly so uh-huh. i really dug it so i know i'm losing so much horror street cred you guys but i'm being honest with you this is how i feel <laughs> we about are an the, honest podcast i tell right? you how i feel about the score to suspiria <laughs> but then i um i learned this might change your your feeling on the film okay is that as you know uh-huh. <laughs> um, as you know, uh, the uh, Italian films are not 
filmed with sound. Yeah. So everybody is dubbed. Right. And a lot of times they have people who are just speaking different languages right. on the set. And mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter because they're going to fill it in later. But apparently, they Goblin and Arjunjo had done the score before the filming of the film. Mm-hmm. And so they played that music on set while they were filming yeah. cranked up. I heard that too. And, and you know, just to like scare the cast and really unsettle them. And I can't imagine um, Jessica Harper plays Susie Banyan, who's like our, you know, final girl in this film. And I, for her, she, she has so many like going down the hallways. I'm about to open a door. I'm alone in a room kind of stuff to hear this score. I enjoy this score uh, quite a bit. And I think probably for similar reasons why you don't like it. I like how up in your face it is and overly theatrical. And I really enjoy how it's a character in the film. And I like that it starts and stops just really abruptly or like it'll the opening of this is um uh, Jessica Harper plays an American dance student named Susie Banyan. And so she arrives at the airport to, you know, begin uh, her run at a, a dance academy uh, in Germany. And as soon as she gets off the plane and she's just walking through, it's like score, 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 you know. And then she goes out the doors to find a cab. And as soon as she goes out the doors and the sliding doors shut, nothing, silence. And then she gets in the cab, score, 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 score. Like it, the, it's just, and I, I kind of enjoy the, and I'm not necessarily like a big synth kind of gal, right. um, but I think there's something very weirdly atmospheric. And perhaps I'm also biased by the idea that they would create something that kind of weird and strange and then like make the actors endure it, like why they're yeah. filming. Just to, I think that's kind of cool. I'm, I am 100% behind the score on a hypothetical level. Sure, sure, sure. On an actual level. No, fair play. Just, yeah. just paint. <laughs> not for me. Not for me. Uh, so this, so Jessica Harper was cast after Argento saw her in... Phantom of the Paradise, right? Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. She plays Phoenix. Yeah. She's got some some awesome dance moves in that movie. Uh-huh. Uh, I like Jessica Harper. He, she's uh, she's kind of an every girl who doesn't yeah. get much play, but she this is her like starring turn. I and think. she's like a enormous eyeballs yeah. like she's just she's got these huge eyes so when there's a lot to endure visually in this film so she's kind of a great girl for that to have to like oh my god what am i what am i seeing so she's going to a uh, ballet school mm-hmm. in uh switzerland germany? yeah freeburg germany I germany think. Mm-hmm. okay uh so she gets there on a rainy night and uh is trying to get into the building and, and the buzzer. She sees a girl mm-hmm. who's coming out who's mm-hmm. screaming into the to the storm. Yeah, and she kind of can understand her, but the words don't really make sense. But also, it's like really raining cats and dogs, so she's just like, oh, I'm just going to get inside. So that girl runs away, and then she tries to get into the academy and buzzes, and they're like, who are you? We, we don't know. We're not expecting you. Get out. And so she's like, oh, and has to get back in the cab. And the, not the cab ride itself, but throughout this movie, there are just sort of these shots, these hugely atmospheric um, Argento is known for the sort of red and blue lighting scheme, which is all over the place in this movie, including the cab, just the cab ride. Yes. It's like red and blue cab ride. So um, I, when I saw this uh, film at the Egyptian on 35, mm-hmm. Argento was there. Mm-hmm. And he said that the color palette for this film comes from Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. He said he told a cinematographer, go watch that, now make it this. Like the Disney version? Yes, the there's Disney a lot version. of red and blue in the Disney version. I haven't watched that movie lately, <laughs> but I guess if we watch it, we'll be like, "Hey, it's like Suspiria." Oh, wow! So probably a lot of people before us, but we're just like, "Mer." Well, um, I know it's part of. He's part. Uh, Argento's part of that whole giallo, right. like Italian genre, where it's sort of this mixture of murder mystery, really atmospheric, really gory kind of thing. So I just kind of thought it was sort of like that was part of that. Genre? It is, but I guess like this is part of where it comes from. Got it. But okay. I, I think that you know what makes Argento uh, a great filmmaker mm-hmm. is his use of just like everything's slightly heightened. Yeah, the lights are too bright mm-hmm. and the sets are too.
too crazy and, you and know, the music is the music's too loud yeah. and like mm-hmm. everything's just too much and yeah. that makes it you know this kind of very specific yeah. very awesome aesthetic yeah and I like it too because for the sort of the mundane stuff I feel like sometimes with other directors the sort of business that you have to do to sort of set up the world before the horror movie starts it's a little, it can be a little paint by numbers with yeah. some of these films and I like that in the beginning between the score and the red and white lighting and the cab and the rainy night and the whole thing like from the beginning it's like trouble like sure. trouble is coming like this ballet school thing it's not going to work out for you Susie so Susie sees this, uh, oh, this girl why Susie. Susie does. Bing. Uh, through, she see, looks out of her cab, sees the woman running through the forest in a very... It's so awesome. Very strange shot. And then mm-hmm. we see, we follow the girl who was screaming in the rain to her friend's house, the coolest apartment building ever. It is super The pink cool. monstrosity that is her apartment. And it's kind like, of Wes Anderson-ish in a is. lot of ways. Like the colors... It's like Wes Anderson meets sort of Italian horror. Uh-huh. Like it's really overly lit. Yes. Um, and she has the wallpaper that's like the Escher bird fish yeah. thing. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so we have a sequence which is really excellent in this. So the thing about um, Italian horror is the pacing is so much different than American horror. Like mm-hmm. we're so used to kind of fast, 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 fast. And this is a lot of like, I'm in a room, something's weird. I don't mm-hmm. know what's happening. I'm looking around. There's so, you know, if, if you've never really delved into the giallo realm, just be prepared for a different kind of pacing, yeah. which is a slower pace, but not, well, not a, you know, not a bad pace. No, but I think it's sort of, it's, it's kind of both though. It's like a slow, but then when the horror happens, it's like an avalanche. Yeah. Like it just like slams you because what ultimately, you know, ends up happening to this girl is crazy. And it's in, I look down after the sequence of what happened to the girl who ran away and um, it's in the first 13 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen to our main character. Right. So it's just this thing of just like, oh, just letting you know, this is like the horror world you're watching, you're in for right now. And, you know, yeah, I, I really like that. So uh, the girl ends up spying some eyes through the window and a hand comes through, smashes her face against the glass, through the glass. Yeah. And then uh, we're transported uh, out like, to out the, the roof. roof. Mm-hmm. And then there's a stained glass kind of window yeah. ceiling thing yeah <laughs> that uh she yeah it's sort of like a skylight like a really elaborate skylight yes yeah, so um, we have uh gloved hands stabbing stabbing her, her really really stabbing her and then i'm sure you looked away for this one but i watched it okay uh knife into the heart you can actually see it going into the heart i think beating her i yes i looked away i think when the actual because it's like close up yeah. of like he the i think the sort of the point is like he has stabbed her so much there is now an open wound right. where you can see her beating heart and he is now actually stabbing mm-hmm. the heart and all the stabbing stuff in this movie i will say it's very like close up on it it's like close up knife in chest and it happens a lot like each individual so it's not really that kind of like Hitchcock psycho stabbing where it's like you don't know where he's getting her it's just a flurry of stabs it's very specific each one and it's really grim uh, so would it would it would if, if you pulled back the camera a little bit would it make you feel better I don't think I mean I don't think you know Argento's job is to make Marion feel better you know so you know I'm like you know you do you Argento my job is to make Marion Kerr feel better ding um, but no, I think that, you know, but for me, it's just sort of what I'm looking at and what I'm not looking at. It's, it's a choice and yeah. it's like a really tough, and again, this is not our hero girl. It's just letting you know, this is the world our hero girl is entering. Um, but it wasn't so much that it was the, like when she flops onto the, uh, sky, sky, uh, skylight and she starts cracking mm-hmm. and her head goes through it first. And then he ties what, like a rope around her neck, I think. Mm-hmm. And then shoves her all the way in. So her, she, the girl whose uh, room she was staying in, 
comes out and looks up and sees her friend, her friend's head sticking through the skylight. And then she falls through and all that glass rains down on her friend. And then she's left hanging like in the middle of this apartment by her neck. And then all the broken glass has fallen on her friend and like gone in her face. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like artsy shots of like beautiful girl with a huge pane of glass right between her eyes. And yeah. Like, wow. Wow. Anything could happen. I know. Dun, dun, dun. And also during this, this is when the score kind of changes too, where it they incorporate not only that synth stuff, but like the sort of melodic screaming mm-hmm. and the drum beating. And it, it's something very like kind of, I don't know, kind of uh, savage about it. That's just really, but it's like sort of that juxtaposition of like, oh, beautiful, moody, Wes Anderson inspired uh, sets with just this like screaming and drumming and yeah, it's something. Argento's got a vision, and yeah. that's what I like about him. It's mm-hmm. like you look at a frame of his film, and you're like, oh, Argento. And yeah. I, I like filmmakers where you can do that. We like, yeah, it's an Anderson film. Yeah. Uh, so we, she finally gets into the ballet school, the mm-hmm. Tam Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mrs. and uh, meets Mrs. Tanner, who's a very uh, severe German woman, uh, and then Madame Blanc, who yeah. is the running the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also By meets Joan Bennett. Joan Bennett. Yeah, plays her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also meet uh, little Albert in his little tiny gray velvet suit. And like which Peter is like, Pan which color. is like a horrifying, like like little Lord Fauntleroy gone, just creepy. Like, yeah, that that kid's crazy. Kids don't want to be dressed like that. No kid wants to be dressed like that. No, it just he's like, oh, I'm just being made to dress like this, which is only going to make him more and more evil. Mm-hmm. I feel like as the movie goes on, you're like, nope, that kid. You put that kid in different clothes, things will work out differently for him. But you yeah. make him be in that stupid outfit, he's going to go crazy on you. Uh, so we also meet Pablos, who is the servant who. Mrs. Tanner just says, like, he's straight up ugly to his face. And then they all laugh about then it. Then they laugh. And he's <laughs> like, oh, he can't understand me. Ha, ha, ha. Casual cruelty. Oh. Um, yeah. And then we also meet Olga, who's sort of like the mean girl mm-hmm. of the ballet school. And uh, at, they say at the time that there's not a room ready for Susie. So she's going to have to room with Olga, like, oh, do you mind? And she's like, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. I'll can, I, can I mention the, the hissing tongue sticking out battle that yes. uh, Sarah and Olga had? And this is also, too, so... We, we, you talked about Sarah, right? Like, that's the other girl. So Sarah's sort of like the, the nice girlfriend. Olga's like the mean one. Sarah's like the nice girlfriend. And Olga and Sarah do not like each other. And they have this very weird childlike dialogue exchange. Like, they're 12-year-old girls. And then That's funny you say that. Do you know why that is? I don't know why that is. Uh, apparently, uh, Argento originally wrote the film for 12-year-old girls. It was supposed to be younger girls in a ballet school. And then they ended up like... So like a 12-year-old goes through the skylight and the whole bit? I don't know. That was the plan? Apparently. Jeez. Okay. So they, they bumped... Uh, this is what I read okay. on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> um, and then they didn't. he didn't change the dialogue. So it's some of it is quite... That's fantastic. Childlike. Really? Yeah. That explains a lot of this dialogue, mm-hmm. actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, because at the very end, sort of Susie's sort of stuck in the middle between Sarah and Olga, who don't get on. And Sarah does, and they like hiss at each other, and Sarah sticks her tongue out at her, and it's just like you do. Yeah, it's just, it's like weirdly, yeah, it's just very weird. Um, There's also a very cute uh, boy, Mark, in his little overalls. Yeah. Where they're like, ooh, Mark, he's like also one of the dancers, mm-hmm. and it seems adorable, and all the girls have eyes for him. Um, and he seems to kind of be into Susie. Um, so uh, Susie moves into uh, Olga's room, which is incredible. That black and white, like flower wallpaper. And she's sort of dressed in this kind of weirdly Edwardian outfit, like on her chaise lounge, like making dates on the phone. Yeah, and I would like to live in Argento world, just not the violent bits. I just don't want to be chopped up to bits. Well, you yeah. will be if you live in Argento <sighs> no, world. That's, that's what, the, you get that's to live the trade in a, off. <laughs> you get to live in an apartment, but but 
probably chopped up to bits. Mm-hmm. Oh, choices. Um, and uh, and so Susie sort of begins her having her lessons. So she goes to like this, you know, dance rehearsal where she isn't feeling particularly well. And uh, so what she, what happens is she's walking down. Uh, the, they're like she can't move in. She can move in. There's a yes. kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's walking down the hallway, and there's a cleaning woman who's cleaning something shiny, mm-hmm. and it sh- it dazzles her mm-hmm. into a weekend state where she's like. In and out of consciousness, she doesn't really understand. She mm-hmm. feels very weak, um, but the German lady makes her dance yeah. uh, until she uh, collapses and bleeds out of her nose and mouth. Right, and they're like, "Oh, all right." And it's sort of, and this is where this movie gets a little like, the, I like they're trying to control Susie, where they use that, like when she kind of finally wakes up, they use her illnesses. Ex- illness as an excuse to move her back to the school yeah. like oh Olga brought all your stuff oh you need to be with us be with us and so she was like what uh-huh and so she sort of made to uh stay with Sarah and there's also a, a, a sequence a little bit later on after that um where the girls are I think are like brushing their hair or whatever and then all of a sudden something falls in their hair something else falls in their hair and they kind of pick it out like what is that And it's maggots and maggots are like raining down from the ceiling. And there's like this chaotic, like everyone's in the hallway being like, there's maggots in the ceiling. These girls with maggots on their face and in their mouth. And then like any girl that's like horror upon horror, (laughs) like this shot of like just the comb with maggots squirming in it. And it turns out the maggots are just in like a box of rotten food. And I like that it's just not a horror element to the movie. It's just like, oh, this other thing happened. That's like scary, but it has nothing to do with what like the big picture is. I feel like Argento sort of pushes in Suspiria a lot, kind of the boundary by which Susie would be like, all right, it's too crazy. I'm leaving. And so he creates all this weirdness that leads just up to that line, but it's not enough to cross over. So like she's come from, you know, New York all the way to Germany to be in the school. Like, okay, they didn't know her in the beginning. Okay. That girl weirdly ran out. Okay. Oh, it turned out she was murdered, but it probably nothing to do with the school. Oh, there's maggots falling from the sky. Oh, there. And so it's enough. We're like, okay, it's not great, but like, I guess I'm not leaving. I guess mm-hmm. I'm not quite there yet. Oh, that girl's terrible, but this girl's nice. And, and so I like that he sort of keeps piling on these things that pushes her just to the brink of that line. Right. Um, so she's put on a, a special diet, uh, to build up her blood, which I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Uh, includes That's a glass. like some leeches, medieval nonsense. Yeah. Like, if, if a doctor was like, here, this will build up your blood. I'd be like, I'm not drinking that. What I'm, is that? I'm going to go. Uh, what kind of doctor are you? <laughs> uh, this kind of doctor who will prescribe some red wine to go with your very bland dinner. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So then we have the, um, the dog, the guy and the dog. Yeah, yeah. So there's a um, a pianist who is a blind man who has a, a German Shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it, it's sort of again like the kind of you know what is going on. Susie's sort of having like mm, things seem kind of weird, and she sort of finds an ally in Sarah because Sarah's been there longer. And after the whole maggot thing, they all end up sleeping in the gym. Um, where they have this curtain wrapped around them, and they're like, "Okay, lights out, girls!" And when they go, oops, when they go lights out, it's just a huge bath of red light that's on all of them. And you're like, who's sleeping in that? Like, how, how is that? They're like sleeping in a dark room. You know, <laughs> it's so weird. And Sarah starts to confide in Susie, like, things are going on. Like, I know what's going on. Like, there's, you know, there's creepy things. The teachers don't sleep here. They leave every night, but I don't think they really do leave. And, um, and again, one of the other elements to kind of show you how weird it's getting is uh, this pianist who seems like a pretty nice guy with this like pretty cute dog um and he gets like abruptly fired and kicked out because the dog bit alfred albert albert sorry so um, but the question is why why did that happen did because the, the dog knows he's evil why is albert evil is albert evil i think albert's evil they never really established he's like a little boy witch 
Is he? P.S. Spoilers, they're all witches. And so, um, <laughs> but, but yes, like he's clearly in it because the weird, um, uh, when the cleaning lady flashes that bit of glass that kind of blinds her, Albert's there. And, and he's like, kind of smiling. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, uh, this outfit makes me evil. And so, yeah, I think the dog knows because like the dog knows what's up. And so I think, because they have that scene where Albert's sort of coming back with the housekeeper from having to go, uh, having run errands and the dog's sort of right. like when he comes and then I think he like took a chunk out of the kid and then they were like, dog has to go. Um, and so they fire the pianist and it's like ugly. Like he goes out ugly style. Like, yeah. oh yeah, screw all of you. You know, well, you know. I mean, the, 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 Mrs. Tanner like chucks his cane like on the floor with his coat and like he's blind. He's got to go find it. That's yeah. Not- that's not nice. That's yeah. not hatred. But I like how he doesn't go quietly. He's no. just like, screw you, screw you, <laughs> screw you. Um, and so, yeah, so he uh, so he gets kicked out. And then Sarah and Susie have this conversation where at night when Susie has to take her wine bland dinner combo to build her blood, it makes her really drowsy. And she sort of passes out every night when mm-hmm. she falls asleep. Yeah. And Cause, Sarah, because they're drugging her, correct? Yeah, and uh, and uh, Sarah's kind of trying to talk to her at night, like, okay, this is what I think is going on. You know, I don't think they really leave, and she can never really maintain the conversation because she's being drugged. But during this particular conversation, Susie is you know, a pretty clever final girl in a lot of ways, and has figured out um, that if they're really leaving at night, their footsteps are going the wrong direction. Like out of the school is to the left and back into school is right. And their footsteps are going back into the school. And so Sarah starts thinking like, oh, okay, I'll count their footsteps. And if I know what floor they're on, if it's like, okay, eight steps and then a door and then nine steps and then a door, you can figure out where they are, which you think would work out. But as it, we will discover, it does not It's cool work though. Out. I like that this, it's a good idea. this film has a lot of like auditory clues. Yes. Like mm-hmm. there's the snoring mm-hmm. and then there's the footsteps. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unusual for a film to rely so heavily on auditory clues. Exactly too. And Sarah also was sort of told Susie about this woman, the directress, who has who has been at the school a couple of times and has this sort of unusual snore slash wheeze slash growl when she's around. Um, and when they're all in the gym, she hears the directress and she was like, oh, that's the directress. And, you know, she's part of this whole thing. Um, so before we get to uh, Sarah's fate, um, the, the pianist has to go. Yeah. So this is a, an interesting sequence. You have him walking across a, a very large plaza at mm-hmm. night by himself. Uh, and then the dog starts barking because the dog hears something. And then there's kind of creature cam. Yeah. Maybe a bat kind of flying around. And it goes on for a while. Yeah. It's, it's basically like a lot of shots where it's like dog, a big wide of the square. Dog, big wide of the square. And there's lights. And again, with the goblin score, like they're just, you know. And yeah. And he's, who's there? Who's there? And there's nobody and coming And it goes out. on for a bit. Like yes. you're really like, okay, okay. You know, again, sort of this idea of like American pacing versus Italian pacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you, you think a big monster is going to drip out and get him, and actually his dog just, just turns, turns and attacks him. And rips his throat out. And they really have fun with it. They got a dog puppet that's just chewing his throat up. They yeah. got the dog like, eating some nasty bloody meat. It's yeah. delightful. And some people are like, what is that sound? And they come running over and they see the dog. And they're like, get out of here. Run away. And so the next morning, all the girls are like, did you hear the dog killed the pianist? And they're like, what? Why is that possible? And um, I like that idea too because it's a different kind of kill that sort of shows you their power to control things Mm -hmm. and so it's not just like oh we're evil we're gonna stab you in the face or rituals or whatever it's like they can make your dog turn on you and rip your face off and that's pretty scary pretty powerful yeah uh can i there's a shot that i want to point out uh that i really really like of sarah and Susie in her room that's uh them on the bed it pulls out through the light bulb 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a shot of the light bulb on, light bulb off. Yeah. Everything turns green. You get the shot of them through the light yeah. bulb and then pulls back in. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of light camera stuff that I'm like, all right, Argento, here we go. Here, here we got. I know, totally. It's very theatrical. I, li- I like it a lot, too. I also like there's a, one of my favorite lines in this movie is when um, everyone's sort of talking about the pianist the next morning. And one of the girls says, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, so many crazy things have been happening here. And she, one of the girls says, yeah, maybe there's a hex on the place. And another girl says, yeah, let's call him the exorcist and have a purge. And I was like, ooh, exorcist, throw a little crossover. A little crossover right there. Um, and so uh, also this is one of my things that sort of the difference between the Susie character and the Sarah character is so Sarah after this is like, all right, like I'm, tonight's the night. I'm going to go track down where these people are going. But I think a good horror movie survival guide tip is like don't let the witches know you're onto them. Mm-hmm. Like just don't. Don't like kind of announce it or whatever. And I feel like Sarah, Susie is much more much more of a quiet observer about, hmm, but she doesn't really like bring it up. Like things are weird, right? She listens to other people bring it up to her. But I think Sarah is so like, you know, no, this is it. This is, and sort of becomes consumed by trying to figure out what the deal is that it spells doom for that character to be so obvious about her suspicions. She's, she's a, someone to watch to do everything wrong. Like <laughs> yeah. you, what you go, no, what are you doing? Nope. Nope. Okay, so she goes into a room where she locks the door, but then the killer has a razor, is trying to like lift the doorknob, mm-hmm. which she doesn't try to stop in any sort of way. No. Let's go across the room, cower in the corner for a bit, Just as you do, and then um, stack up some boxes, which goes terribly, and then crawl through a window. And here's a horror movie survival guide tip. Look before you leap. It seems pretty obvious. Just look down. Just look down. That's all you got to do. Because or if she had. you could jump into a room full of barbed wire. So, so that's like, I mean, that again, speaking of theatrical, that's where this movie goes and they shoot it in a great way where you don't see it coming at all. And again, I feel like she's definitely being led there because she's trapped in this room and all of a sudden the light, uh, a light in the barbed wire room goes off. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like this way, come yep. this way, Sarah. And so she stacks all the things and she's looking at the door when she jumps. And so she jumps and then the camera pans down and it's literally sort of like almost, it's a small room, but it's a hundred percent covered in barbed wire and it's, it's horrible. And she lands in the middle of it and she tries to crawl through it to, yeah, no, it's bad. It's no good. And it goes on and on. And again, it's like goblin score, red and blue, screaming, screaming. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, Suspiria in a nutshell. That's basically Suspiria in a nutshell. <laughs> Beautiful girl being cut to ribbons. Yeah. Um, um, so I like that uh, they don't do much with this, but I think that it's cool that they have that room. Like to think, well, just to, well, thinking about it, like it's like a house of horrors kind of thing where you yeah. have these little traps set up that you can lead people to at any time you feel like. But they're just kind of like side business. Totally. Like that's not your main thing. But like I also have these rooms. But also how crazy are you where you're just like sitting there having dinner with your girls and then as you're sort of like eating your steak tartare, you're like, we have a room full of bogoir upstairs. <laughs> like you're just sort yes, of like we do. funny, funny thing. Um, <laughs> so uh, after Sarah disappears, Susie, disappears decides, yes. Susie decides to go uh, see her friend, mm-hmm. uh, Udo Kier, as Frank Mandel. Dubbed Udo Kier. Uh, in an in awesome... I don't know what building that is in Germany, but yeah. man, it's awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, so they have a little tete-a-tete where he tells yeah. her the backstory on the academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, the TAM Academy was founded in 1895 by Helena Marcos, mm-hmm. who some people said was a witch. They called her the Black Queen. Mm-hmm. And she set up a dance school slash occult school because those right. things go together sure. like bread and butter. But the dance school just thrived. So she was like, well, let's just go with this thing. A cult, schmuckult. And there was a fire and she was killed, but uh, maybe not killed. And right. then he brings his buddy over. Oh, but Udo Kier says my favorite line in the film. Okay. Uh, bad luck is brought by broken mirror, not by broken mirrors, but by broken minds. 
Yes, because he sort of talks about witchcraft as sort of like it's really sort of disguised mental illness. Right. And so that's sort of kind of one of those things, which again, I think only adds to the scariness of this movie where you're sort of like, oh, because everything is done so theatrical, you think this has to be a sort of a supernatural deal. But suddenly if you realize that it's not that they're like literally witches, it's that they're all bonkers yeah. and they think they're witches. Also very scary, like equally scary, I think. And they have uh, the great shot on that sequence as well where uh, she's talking to his friend and they push in on the window reflection. I love that them. too. Yeah, them having the conversation. Mm-hmm. See, that's what I want in my horror movies. Just like a little bit of effort. Yeah. We're like, well, we could have this conversation or we could make it a little extra fancy. And then I go, yeah, thanks. Yeah, because it just continues to add to like as she's receiving. There's also um, a couple sort of these over-the-shoulder shots where you just see her eyes listening to him and I like that too because I like the idea of like this is basically going to be five minutes of exposition to sort of give context and sort of really name who the big bad's going to be at the end and all this kind of stuff and I like that during that you it adds to Susie's discomfort and being overwhelmed mm-hmm. and just also the creepy factor and it's also kind of our only daytime shot yeah in this movie everything is like night 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 um so yeah I like that he did a little something extra with that Uh, So she goes back to the school where she finds that everybody is gone because everybody has gone to the ballet uh, except for her. Yeah. Which they have pointedly not invited her. Right. So uh, there's... So they're witches and they're rude witches. They're rude witches. They're just singling her out for easy pickings is what they're doing because they want that American bitch, as they say (laughs) very frequently. Um, Can I I bring up the weird uh, bat sequence in this film? Yeah. Which is... So it's not a vampire film. Are we are we assuming that they can turn into bats? Because are we assuming the, mm. the the creature cam we see when the pianist gets killed is a bat? I oh that's a good oh, I hadn't thought about that. I thought it was a bit like the dog where they could control the bat. Oh, um, so it's like they want her gone. They'll murder her if they have to, but also just get out. And so I think they thought that maybe the bat's going to be the last straw. There was I don't maggots. Know. I, mean, I mean, fair play, but like also the bats attacking her. Yeah, but it's the, a good bat sequence. There's a lot of you know bat, bat in the hair. Yeah. And then I like that it's like just flapping on the floor and there's like a shot of like flapping feet, flapping and she's coming for her. But this is where I, this is sort of the bit that I like for Susie where you're like, Susie means business because I feel like this is her Courtney final exam moment where, you know, there's quite a bit of the bat attacking her and then finally she throws like a sheet over it and then she has a stool and she picks up a stool and turns it like seat side down and goes to town on this bat until it's like a blood puddle underneath and she kind of gets like crazy Courtney face where it's like, just kill it, just kill it, just kill it. And you're like, oh, and because she's been a very controlled character up to this point and very observant and very just like a receiver of information rather than a seeker of it, um, I kind of like it where you're like, all right, she's had it with this place. So now she's like, okay, let's count these footsteps. Let's see where these, nobody's here, huh? Mm -hmm. Let's go see where it goes. And she does it in all the clever ways that Sarah doesn't. Like it goes by... Um, a group of uh, one of the kitchens where the lady with the creepy glass was and she makes a big effort for her not to see her mm-hmm. and she doesn't necessarily know that she's in on it or the deal but she's just very cautious yes. she's like I'm going to do this but no one's going to see me I'm going to be very sly about it and you're like mm, clever su- clever Susie well done uh, so she winds up in the office of uh, Madame Blanc mm-hmm. where she a fabulous office I'd be so excited <laughs> if I had that office I know, it's pretty exciting pretty great <laughs> Uh, so she re- she suddenly recalls that the girl who had been screaming in the rain in the beginning had said something about secret door with irises. You turn the blue iris. Turn the blue iris. Mm-hmm. Which, secret doors. Who doesn't love yeah. secret doors? Uh, so she, she turns the blue iris and yep. reveal into like a whole Greek temple. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where they're doing their witchy thing, which I like how you don't see the whole thing. Yes. I really enjoyed that. I like, like that. You only see what she sees. Exactly. And I love that. I like that idea of, cause I think there, there's so much sort of weight put upon like, you know, 
it's, you know, how you're going to sort of showcase the sanctuary of this, you know, super old coven of witches and, you know, I don't know, fires and all, what does that entail and all this stuff. But you only see like a slice of it through a doorway. Mm-hmm. And there's just like a little sliver of light on her eye. And they're just wearing their normal clothes. Like they're mm-hmm. not in like witchy garb no. or anything. But there's like a little throne. And, and Albert's like, there. And Albert's there. Yeah, and there's Pavlos a, is there. Mm-hmm. And like Madame Blanc's like on her throne. Um, you know, kind of discussing which business of the day and how, um, how the American bitch must die. Right. And they have to get rid of her. Um, and it, it's interesting because one of the sort of other horror movie survival guide tips that I was thinking about is that so she discovers it. But I think here's another sort of witch problem thing. You really need to have an exit strategy when discovering a hidden coven of witches. Because you don't want to just bust in there. Right. Because it's like you suspect it, right? So you're like, I think this this dance academy is run by witches, probably. So you go into this like secret passageway. You're like, confirmed witches. Now what? (laughs) You know, now what do we do? You don't have any weapon on you. Exactly. And she has no plan. And I think that's sort of the only flaw that I think, Susie, where you're just like... Well, I guess she just never expected to find that. I guess so. So you're just expecting to find them doing something, but not that. But then what? Then what do you do with it? Like, confirm, they're witches. So you're going to leave. Right. I mean, probably they weren't witches. You'd probably have left anyway. I don't know. So it's just like, there's sort of, there's no exit strategy with that. But Um, she finds Sarah's body, which is incredibly gnarly. We got push. We got like pins, like sewing pins, in her open eyeballs. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, like, obviously she was like barbed wire to death, and um, and then they sort of have her like laying out on like a altar. Yeah. And so they've like have her eyes open, and they put pins in her eyes, and just all this like, and she's just covered in blood, and it's just yeah. So Susie sees her, and it's like twang, like really starts to freak out, and then she hears that weird snoring growling sound again that sarah had said oh that's the directress and she hears it in another room so she sees like a figure seeming to sleep behind a curtain and she creeps in there and when uh and at this point it's sort of heavily suggested that this might be helena marcus who is really the directress and when she opened pulls back the curtain there's nothing there. It's like invisible. And so, There's but like she is there. There's on the bed, but you can't see her. Right, exactly. But you can hear her. She starts talking to her and like being super creepy. And you, um, the, one of the, uh, I think Udo Kier, I think is the one who had told them that the head witch is like a thousand times more powerful than all the rest of the witches. So if you kill the head witch, all the witches go, like rather than just. It's like killing head yeah. vampire. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They all kind of explode. Um, and so. Uh, so she sees, and they also kind of show her in this interesting way where you kind of see Helena like in this outline. Mm-hmm. It's like an outline sparkle, of a really old, sparkle outline. yeah, like kind of, I don't really know what you call that. Well, she, t- she tells Susie that she's going to meet the living dead now. And then Sarah comes in, pins in eyes, knife in hand, Zombie ready, style. ready to kill at command. Which is just pretty terrifying. But then outline Helena Marcus mm-hmm. back and forth back and forth back yeah. and forth stab and stab and that's and that's sort of they have uh, I think this moment this movie has this kind of like you have to have faith mm-hmm. kind of endings where she can't see or she hasn't she has a, a stabbing implement um, but she can't see her but she just like no this will work and so she just does it and when she does she kills her but like she actually materializes and you see this very old woman who's sort of exploding and dying and then everything just starts to explode um, all around her and it's one of those really fun things where like they obviously did it in camera and so Susie has to make her way out of the academy back down the hallway back down these stairs back through the hall and everything is just exploding all around her and Jessica Harper just has to trust that the explosions are going to be on <laughs> time or else she's in trouble please don't blow me up i don't it's, want i don't want to be blown up in italy that's so great because you can see that jessica harper herself is kind of a little bit afraid and yeah. then you're like eh, 
would be a little bit afraid too. Which is funny because then when she finally does make it out the front door, she has this sort of perplexing like smile yeah. on her face. And I can't tell if it's the actress being like, oh, thank Christ, it's the end of that. Or if it's supposed to be the character being like, yay, I am alive. I like it. She walks it's very, away. It's and a it's strange a, smile too. It is. It, there's definitely a smile and a laugh that she has triumphed and then school on fire. School on fire. Yes. And then immediately just catches on fire. And then... Roll credits. Yeah. And then I like how the credits roll over the flames. <laughs> like, as the school's on fire. It's just, like, destruction. People who are responsible for this destruction include. Right. And then, yeah. No, I like it. I like this kind of, it's also kind of a final examining. We're like, okay, she, she bested them. We have, like, a moment with her, and then we're done. Yeah. That's no, all you up. need. Yeah, I know. What's going to happen to Susie Banyan? Who knows? Who knows? But, like, you know what's boring? Epilogues. So mm-hmm. we're not going to do them. Um, so, gore factor for this movie. One, is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, a puddle of blood. Three, enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four, bathtub of blood. Five, run for the barf bag. And you and I gave this... Go, Marion, go, Marion, go, Marion, go. Um, four. So, we felt it was bathtub of blood, which I think is pretty fair. There's some, I mean, that opening uh, stained glass sequence alone is pretty much... Worth the four, yeah, I'd say. Lots of stabbing. When you stab into a beating heart, that's pretty, pretty yeah, gory. No. Um, and then for movie ratings, we have one to five chainsaws. One if you're desperate. Two barely qualifies as a horror film. Three seen more, seen better. Four not too shabby, and five fantastical. I give this a four. I give this a four and a half. And I think what separates us is, is a little thing called Goblin. Yeah. <laughs> is the Goblin score? Yeah, um, it really is. Yeah. Um, th- I mean, that's the only thing that I can see in this film that I really like. That. You know, and I'm sorry. I wish I liked it. I really do because I know it's a big thing. But it feels also too. The beginning of it reminded me a lot of Rosemary's Baby. You know, where it starts with like Mia Farrow's creepy singing and all that kind of stuff. And so it kind of reminded me. And I love that score. So maybe it's just like the parallels what mm-hmm. draws me into it. I don't know. Uh, so thank you for listening. You know where to find us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook iTunes. Yeah, and if you enjoyed this podcast, um, reviews on iTunes are very helpful for us and for more people to find us. And thank you for all of you for feedback. You guys have been uh, very chatty and we love it. I know. And These conversations on Twitter have been a lot of fun. When people just bring up a point uh, that they like, we, we love that. And also, you're wrong because of this. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So next week we're going to be talking about a movie called... Why are you laughing? Because I love him so much. <laughs> we love Kenneth Branagh. And we love Mary Sherry. Melly Sherry. Oh. It's all right. It was going well. <laughs> Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah. So we did Dracula. So we have to do Frankenstein. Uh, and this interpretation of Frankenstein is a doozy. Um, so it'll be fun. It will be fun. Yeah. <laughs> you, me, Kenny B. See you next week. All right. Bye, guys. Great to survive.